Hi, I'm Eric Connor, Senior Instructor at New York Film Academy, and in this episode, we bring you an actor-director with over 150 film and TV credits. He rode with Billy the Kid and the Regulators in Young Guns, learned from Jaime Escalante how to stand and deliver, brought Richie Valens to vivid life in La Bamba, and brought a serial killer to justice in Fox's Prodigal Son. We are talking about the Lou Diamond Phillips. Mr. Phillips screened the TV movie Love Takes Wing from the 10-film Love Comes Softly Western series. He directed and acted in the film alongside Oscar winner Cloris Leachman and the Backstreet Boys' Kevin Richardson, who joined him for the Q&A. Mr. Phillips' directing work also helped lead to other recent gigs behind the camera on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fear the Walking Dead. But 150 movies and shows ago, Blue Diamond Phillips was an actor hungry to make his mark, one who credits his success as much to what he didn't know. Just sheer tenacity and, and ignorance. <laughs> Stupidity has always been a good friend of mine. And time isn't that rough. No, you know, uh, I, I say this to a lot of people, and it's funny because out here, you run into it a lot. And no disrespect to, to L.A. actors, but not so much in New York and, and uh, in other places. Because fame and celebrity are something totally different today than they were when I was, you know, 17 and starting. I mean, you know, you can get famous by sticking a firecracker up your butt now and get a movie deal, you know, uh, or putting out a sex tape or, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of ways to get famous. There's a lot of ways to get celebrity. There's not a lot of ways to become a good actor. And that's what I wanted. The rest of it is great. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's pretty fantastic. I, I, I loved it. And when I, when I pop in and I teach acting, you know, I, it's, it's uh, you, you have to love it. You have to care about it. You have to care about how good you are. You have to care about how good th- the projects you are in, you know? It's too hard otherwise. It's too painful. The rejection sucks. And the interesting thing is, yes, we can all make fun of the people out there who aren't talented, still getting jobs, you know? There's a lot of talented people, they ain't getting jobs. And that's hard. That's hard to watch. It's hard when you're one of them, you know? You're going to get some breaks. You're not going to get all the breaks. Be grateful for the ones that you do get, but turn them into something. And eventually, you know, what you're, not, you're not looking to be a flash in the pan. You're looking to have a career. You're looking to, to link these experiences and these moments and these jobs and these gigs together into something that is a resume and a body of work as you go on in life. When Lou Diamond Phillips acted in the terrific Courage Under Fire with Denzel Washington, he posed a similar question to the Oscar-winning star about how to maintain a career. You know, and you guys are asking me questions now, and it's funny, I asked Denzel a question. This was in 97. Uh, He had won the Oscar for glory, and uh, we were sitting on the train tracks. If you've seen the film, it's kind of an important scene. But we were between takes, and I'm just, you know, shooting the breeze, and Denzel, in a rare moment, was actually kind of just sitting there hanging with me because I think he'd figured everything out. And I said, so Denzel, you know, uh, when do you think you hit your stride? You know, because being, you know, an actor of color and being somebody who's kind of outside the box, I'd like to think that I, I have, you know, some, some things in common with Denzel and with, you know, Sam Jackson and Benicio Del Toro, who I just worked with. And, you know, some people like that who are a little different. We're not the Hollywood norm, you know? And so I said, you know, Denzel, when do you think you hit your stride? And he looked at me and he went, I ain't hit it yet. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way. 
You know, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, uh, some of the work I've done. You know, uh, directing is, you know, something that I'm very proud of as well. There's still that, that film that I want to direct out there that is, you know, the one where I get final cut, you know. I get to do what I want to do. Although, like I said, I'm, I'm extremely proud of this, and I'm extremely proud of this because of the parameters put upon me. They say that, you know, a thousand monkeys in a thousand years with a thousand typewriters could write one piece, maybe, you know. I think there is a talent to doing something in a finite amount of time, knowing, you know, that you have these parameters and you have to do it. That's why you're a professional. Don't leave your fight in the gym. Don't waste everything in acting class. Learn to be able to, to put out when the time comes. And a lot of times, guys, that's five minutes in an audition room. Get your fight to that level, to where you're delivering. And though he might claim ignorance was bliss in his early career, Mr. Phillips trained a lot, and he continues to train. For actors and directors, when you've got your shot, you better be ready to hit the mark. You know, here's the interesting thing that I will talk about, acting class versus brass tacks on set. The beautiful thing about acting class is that's your gym. That's where you're working out. You know, you're hitting the heavy bag, you know, you, you jump in the rope, you do, you're doing all this stuff, you're doing all of these exercises. Now, this is my opinion. What these exercises are for are to get you into shape to do it like that. So that you don't need an hour to prepare. So that you know how to break down a character. You know what an emotional life is all about. Hopefully, you'll never get out of the habit of doing your homework. Like Meryl Streep says, do 100% of your homework because only 50% of it's going to apply. You throw 100 punches so that that one is right there when you need it and you don't have to think about it. That's why I always use the, the, the gym analogy, because you're just doing it, doing it, doing it. You're finding a way to make it easier for you. You're finding a way to access those things that you need so that they're available to you in the moment. If I had to go off and prepare every time I had to act in this movie, I'd have run out of time to shoot myself because I am literally answering a dozen questions from a dozen people, taking care of my cast. They're going, Lou, is this on a 75? Yeah, yeah, you put it on a 75, that's great. I want you to, okay, and Dolly at this point. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, camera movement in here and, and stuff that I, that I cared about and stuff that involved me. You know, I mean, the crane shot coming down from that thing, you know, I want it to be, you know, good. And I'm trying to time it with Sarah and everything and still act. So for me, it really was the proof in the pudding that I was just telling you. I have done so much work and had so much experience, and it all comes into play when it's like, okay, I got that, I got that, we're set, we're set. Okay, my close-up, let's go. Boom, take one, boom, take two. Did I get it? Did we get it? Are we good? Move on. And that's literally how it was sometimes. If I knew I got it in two takes, done, done. If I didn't get it, then fine, we do it again. Also being honest with myself and, you know, and not doing any of this, you know, doing, oh, I need it. No, you have to make decisions and you have to go quickly. So for me, and like I said, fortunately for me in this film, the emotional weight was carried by a lot of other people. You know, I just had to be there for them. So it was a lot easier for me to turn it on and turn it off. And uh, you know, like I said, if I scared anybody, then you know, it probably served me in the end. Before he shared the screen with legends like Denzel Washington, Jack Plants, and former podcast guest Edward James Almas, Mr. Phillips had to find inspiration from a different source himself. Biggest inspiration, I mean, I know a lot of you here tonight are, are directing students and or acting students. I mean, you're, you're certainly your biggest inspiration has to come from within. It's such a hard road. I want to put it right out there right now. It's not an easy path any of you have chosen. It's an incredibly rewarding path, 
I do believe that this is still an art form. I do believe it's a craft. I think it's something that is a gift if you have the talent for it. And uh, it's, it's an even better life if you have the patience and the discipline and the perseverance for it. It's really something that you have to commit yourself to. You know, I, I went to college, actually I have a degree in this. You know, time has had a long career. It's wonderful Kevin is evolving into a, a different stage of his career after, you know, an amazing music career. So, I mean, for all of us, it's this call that we have to continually answer, something that we want to do. I don't have to direct. I, I love directing. And quite honestly, I got really, really fortunate with this particular film in the respect that I, I would have directed it if it would have been a, you know, the script would have been a piece of crap, to be honest, just for the fun of it, just to exercise that side of me. I, I directed in college. I've directed feature-length films. I've done uh, a number of episodics. Uh, and it's something that I enjoy doing. So, and, I, and knowing the gig, you know, I'm not Gus Van Zandt. I'm not an auteur who can shape my vision or, you know, that sort of thing. Directing for television is, you know, uh, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and meeting a budget, meeting a schedule, meeting a time, and directing somebody else's words, you know, for the most part. So in this, I was so thrilled that it was about something that meant something to me. Faith. And my children are certainly a huge inspiration to me. You know, wanting to do good work and wanting to leave a legacy and wanting to do something that, you know, not only I personally can be proud of, but, you know, to have them here tonight and to have them have this as part of their, you know, legacy. And the memory of, of being together on set and sharing this as a family. I mean, uh, that's when, you know, something that you're doing selfishly for your art but also for commerce and whatever else, you know, comes together and you go, this was special. This was something different. And the fact that I could put some friends into it, you know, and, and uh, uh, make a, a few nice little discoveries along the way. I mean, I thought of time as soon as I, I read the script. It's all I got to get him in. Uh, I, I met Kevin through the audition process and, and you know, I thought, got to get this guy. Ask him if he'll do it. Because I just thought he had such a wonderful quality in the room, but also a, a great respect, a great respect to come in and after playing the stadiums to have humility, which is not in big supply in this town. But yeah, as far as inspirations go, yeah. And they're, obviously there are my mentors, you know, they're the people that uh, I uh, was taught by and, and who passed the flame on to me. But um, life, man, everyday life, you know, hope, faith, tomorrow, all of those are inspirations. For an actor like Lou Diamond Phillips, making the transition to behind the camera only strengthen the need to be prepared, since the cast and crew will happily be on your team if you show you know how to coach. For the most part, professional film crews, you know, they'll respect you until you prove otherwise. But they're really savvy, man. They, they can figure out if you know what you're doing or not very quickly. So the biggest thing is having a point of view, being able to make decisions, being able to tell people what you want and what you need, and being able to articulate it as a director. You know, and then you start to have your meetings with people and they hear what you want. For instance, I mean, the last scene in the movie was originally written to be in their apartment at night. Well, you've got to be kidding me. That was my first change. I said, can we change this during the day? And I want a crane. You know, it's the end of the movie. Boom up. So when you, when you come in with a point of view, having done your homework and everything else, people will take you at your word. I'm not going to say every actor will make a good director, but I say that there are a lot of them out there because they, they care and they've worked their way up. They do make good directors because you've just been there, you know the drill, you know how long it takes, you know, you know, there's no surprises. The times when I've heard actors have crashed and burned as directors is when they go in being all touchy-feely, thinking this is going to be my artsy-fartsy moment. 
<laughs> it's not going to happen. You don't have time. At a certain time, it's like, just please you know, hit the mark and say the lines. <laughs> Everybody's waiting. There is that side of it that I, as a director, that's, that's one of the things that I actually really, really enjoy. <clears throat> I mean, it's the, the art side of it, the, the ephemeral creative side, I adore it. It's part of who I am as an artist. But there's also part of it saying, I have how long? And what I have to do, and how many people do I have to get moving, and how many people do I have to make happy? I mean, there is a there is a you know game playing aspect to this. You know, those of you you know you know play games online, thanks to my wife. You know, where you go, I've got this much time to do this and this and this and this, and I have to achieve it, and I have to achieve it up to my standards. So that's the other side of things that I think are really challenging and a lot of fun you know, as a director. Mr. Phillips' description of the opening shot of Love Takes Wing makes you understand why he gravitated to directing. Probably the most difficult shot was, it's a heartbreak, it's the first shot in the movie, it was, a, it was a beautiful shot. There was the bird bath and there was a little cherub in it and it started off looking down into the water. A single leaf fell into the water, to me which symbolized the first child to get sick, who happens to be my daughter Grace. And then we boomed down, craned, saw the, the front of the orphanage, Children run by in slow motion, and it takes us to the rest of the kids and to Miss Clark. It was a beautiful shot. And metaphorically, I told you about some of the other things that I do in the films. This is the first time, and it was difficult for me, this is the first time in anything I've directed where the first shot wasn't the shot that I designed. Every other thing I've directed, the first shot says something. And you don't know it, hopefully, you know, you're not supposed to know when you're, when you're watching it, but my first shot in everything I direct tells you what this movie's going to be about. Thematically metaphorically, even certain story points, but in a way that are in my language. I mean, the camera department was just so fantastic. I mean, the, uh, we really never had anything that wasn't, uh, you know, 100% usable. There were times where I, I had to compromise a couple of shots because they didn't work with necessarily what the, what the actors wanted to do. I mean, there were a couple of things that I changed in the script that I, with permission. Uh, in the script, it says she stops in the center of the room and looks to the heavens and says, thank you. And I thought, She's thanking the ceiling. That says, doesn't say anything to me. And visually, it says nothing to me. There's nothing I can do with that. So I set the prayer on the bed at the end and put the moon in. You know, that's a visual effects as well. And Sarah, so when I explained that to Sarah, you know, to talk, I said, okay, you're talking to the phone. When she goes, what? I said, it's the eye of God, trust me. She goes, okay. I gave this beautiful emotional performance. <laughs> that was easier for her than walking up to that window and waiting for the light to move on her. I mean, and, and I totally felt for it because I've been in that situation myself. You gotta walk, you gotta stay alive, you gotta be connected, there's nothing out there. You're waiting for the light to go down and it feels so sterile, it's not real at all. And then you're thanking God for all this. But when we put it all together with the sunrise and the, the light effect and the, and the cameras dollying in at the same time and then you put the music in finally, it, it was my one Spielberg moment in the movie, you know, where it's like really designed beautifully and it's one of the emotional high points of the film. But I started listening to myself, trying to explain it to her, and I thought, wow, that sounds like bullshit. But, you know, but she went with me on it, because we'd, we were uh, far enough into the film, and she had seen, I think, some of the dailies, where she, she goes, okay, you know what, Lou, maybe knows what he's doing. Part of the trick of directing for TV, or lower budget films, is making artistic sensibilities still work with much less time and resources. I'm ridiculously anal about a lot of these shots, especially for television. If you're playing in the big game when you've got millions and millions of dollars and, you know, 60 days to shoot it, and, you know, you can be inspired every day. In TV, you really, really have to know what you want. 
And so uh, I, I thanked uh, Heather uh, earlier, um, you know, my uh, um, art director, because I, I asked for certain things, you know. We built that bird bath, and that was originally my first shot in the film. I did not get final cut, so uh, that was actually the first shot in the film. Every shot in this movie means something. There's nothing random about any single shot in this film. And as a matter of fact, there are other shots in this film that I, that I wish were there. You know, I mean, and so I can tell you, you know, I always say, uh, you know, I'll see you rehearse. I go reach for that. Go for the hand. Go for this insert because it means something. And with my actors as well, you know, it's like repeat this action, do that. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, you, you can um, analyze it after the fact. I don't, I don't want it to be too obvious when you're watching it. Watch how many scenes start with water. It's, it's a design. Watch how many scenes have an angel either in the beginning or the background or this through line of her faith joining in. I wish Dane Peterson were here tonight because uh, one of the other motifs that we had, if you will, the movement from light to dark, her enlightenment, moving toward the light, not only from a matter of faith, but a matter of knowledge. And in each scene, progressively, it gets a little more, you know, bright. It gets a little more hopeful. And it was by design that the payoff for that is the sun coming up when her faith has been restored. Directing also means having to let go of some really terrific moments. It could be due to time, budget, or maybe the network, studio, and producers making that decision for you. Haley lost a lot of beautiful work. Uh, Kevin and I both lost some stuff. I, I tried to lose more of me, but they wouldn't let me. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's just unfortunately the um, nature of the beast. And especially in this, like I said, I did not have Final Cut, and I, I wish, you know, there were a few things that, that I could have salvaged and and just so you also know i mean this script was ridiculously long it was far too long to shoot on this schedule knowing that it was going to be cut down to 90 minutes no disrespect to the company this is how they do things but it, it was for me always always the knowledge on set knowing that i was shooting things that if it doesn't advance the story probably won't make it but at the same time i can't shoot it badly because then it'll probably end up in the movie. And I gotta go, oh, ugh, that sucked. You know, so everything had to be shot with care and everything had to matter. So I never shot anything in a Warner. I never shot anything, you know, just, you know, closer, closer, whatever. You know, I, I tried to design everything and, and, and do it well so that uh, if it did make the film, people would at least be proud of it, you know, and proud of their work in it. It was 140, you know, and uh, those of you know, the rule of thumb is a, it's a minute per page. So, you know, you're looking at a two and a half hour movie already if you shoot it as tight as you possibly can. Knowing you're gonna cut it to 90 minutes. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? You know? Oh well. This is especially difficult for Mr. Phillips since he's so protective of his actors on set. Kevin Richardson, who as a Backstreet Boy is no stranger to performing, was appearing in his first movie. He was beyond thankful to have Lou Diamond Phillips take a chance and have his back, even if he didn't get to go full cowboy. It was amazing. I had a great time. I'd only had experience on set shooting music videos, so this was my first film or television experience, and uh, it was really laid back, relaxed, but at the same time getting it done kind of atmosphere. And I appreciate, Lou, you giving me a shot my my first role. I thank you so much for that. You always remember me as your first. Yes. <laughs> Tell everyone. Yes. <laughs> No, you're going to go on and do, do uh, much, much more. Like I said, I mean, first of all, the work that was in here is fantastic, and you got great presence. I hope you're happy with it. Yes, I am. Thank Good. You. And you look great. It's definitely different 
it's challenging, it's exciting, makes you feel alive, makes you afraid. It's something new and challenging and I love it. You know, I'm starting a whole new career, paying my dues, going to class, going to auditions. I had the, the honor of acting on Broadway in the musical Chicago. But other than that, this is only my second professional acting job. But it puts a little fear in you, makes you feel alive. It's a challenge and, uh, you know, at times on set, my first scene that we shot was with Lou. And I just remember before uh, Lou was back there looking to make sure we had the shot set and, and then he came up and it was like, action. I'm like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoo, here we go. But it, you know, it felt good. And, and there were times on, on set when I was like in awe of, of, of all of you and, and their performances. And I was there to learn, you know, I'm, I'm learning. So uh, again, I thank you, Lou, for the opportunity. I, I wish I'd have got to show my, my gun, though, but I, know. I understand. I, yeah. It's all about the story. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I got to wear a gun, and I was looking forward to seeing me pull back that jacket and show it, but it's all good. But we'll, we'll do another Western. You belong in Westerns, man. Not, not everybody <laughs> does, you know, which is true. Lou Diamond Phillips' work as a director, especially how he treats his cast, was largely influenced by how his previous co-stars approached their own performances. When I did Courage Under Fire with Denzel Washington, and once again, here you were talking about 600 times the budget, a 60-day schedule, and a script that has been in development for a couple of years. And so it's really at the top of the food chain. And even after all of that wonderful preparation and everything that happens there, Denzel Washington is such a, an instinctual actor that, you know, he, he would get on set and he would get the vibe, and, and he would take things that you were doing and giving. You know, I mean, that's one of the uh, few films where I did almost no homework. All I did was learn my lines. Because I was going to work with Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan and Matt Damon and a lot of people who I knew were going to bring their A game, and I was just going to give as good as I got. I just got my character background down, my lines down, and figured out, okay, whatever they serve, I'm going to return. And it's interesting that Denzel would work that way because he would, he would sit there, uh, and he didn't want to get to know us too well. He didn't want to bond because his character was supposed to be learning all these new things. He was very polite and very cordial, but he didn't want to get too close so that there wouldn't be this comfort zone on set. He would watch the rehearsal, watch you work, and I, I, it was wonderful. I remember we'd do a take or two, and then he'd walk away. He'd take these long walks. You know, on a set like that, they had, you know, 20 minutes between, you know, relights, uh, you know, within takes and stuff. So he always had time to sort of relax and go away and gather his thoughts. And then he would come and he would improv dialogue. But he would always give you your cue. He would always give you your cue so that he never changed any of your lines. And it's, at one point, I remember Ed Zwick you know, said to me, he goes, you're not, you're not changing any of your lines. And I went, I like all my lines. My lines work. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, but Denzel was always there to give you something new and something different. Part of that balance to directing is making a story new and different, while still making sure it gets done on time and within budget. Every feature-length film I've ever made has come in under budget. I have never gone over schedule. And yet, at the same time, one of the things that I'm proudest of are the way my actors come off. And with my leads, with Sarah and with Haley and with Jordan, they all had different processes. And oftentimes, what was on the page isn't how they would have said things or isn't how they, they wouldn't have done things that way. And yet, 
when you're doing a TV film, it, it's funny, I'll illustrate it two ways. There was supposed to be a fight scene in Courage Under Fire. Denzel and I were supposed to have this balls out, beating each other to shreds fight scene, which is what eventually makes me confess. And we started the scene and there's all these extras and I had actually been doing the fight choreography for about a week and a half with the stunt coordinator. And Denzel comes on set that morning and we're about to you know, do the fight and the coordinator's there and all the other extras are there and everything else. And Denzel says to Ed Zwick, goes, can I say something? I wouldn't fight this man. And I see the stunt coordinator just go, <laughs> you know? And Ed says, well, what, what, would, you, what would you do? Because I talked to him. And I'm, I'm just saying, yes, Mr. Washington, whatever you say, Mr. Washington. So Ed Zwick goes, okay, uh, stunt coordinator, you're gone. And uh, extras, thank you very much. We're going to work this out. And we took two hours to, you know, just rehearse the scene and improv it. And, and the scene turned out great, wonderful, okay? Not the case on a movie like this. On a movie like this, every page has been approved, every line has been approved, every scene has been approved. I could not randomly cut them. I could not randomly change them. If I wanted to change a line, I had to call over the producer who knew that he had to answer to the executive producer if they didn't like the changes we made. I've been on set on episodics where I literally, shooting in Vancouver, would have to call the home office in LA going, okay, I'd like to change this line. What do you, um, it says, uh, uh, oh no, don't go in there. Okay, yeah, can I change it to, let's get out of here? Okay, great, thank you. You know, because there are a lot of people justifying their jobs. And, and yeah, that's what they have to do. But dealing with real artists, I gave them enough leeway to where they thought they could get away with it every time. You know, and there were times where it's like, guys, no, no, I, I, can't, I can't change this. I can't do this. We can't, no, and we can't just drop that. So my most difficult times on set were trying to, because I would never go just do it, or I would never go just say it, that wouldn't come out of me because I wouldn't want to hear that from a director myself. So it was a matter of me trying to be supportive of my, my talent, trying to give them what they needed to give a good performance, because I knew that if I just made them do something, it would suck. So what's the point? Make it to where they're gonna feel good about it and feel good about what's happening without much time to rehearse and knowing that the clock is ticking and knowing that it can't turn into this lovely off-Broadway theater experience where we can just sit around and talk about our feelings until it works. You've got so much time in the day to get the scenes. So uh, it was uh, those moments where I had to go, okay, how do we work through this, guys? You know, that, that uh, was, was the balancing act for me. Denzel Washington, the talented actor, knows what moments are needed and which ones aren't. But it might be Denzel, the movie star, who can determine if those moments stay or go. On the set of Love Takes Wing, it was the uh, unique method of Cloris Leachman, which really kept everyone on their toes. The interesting thing about Cloris on this one is that she's, she's a life force, man. She's, she's this sort of whirling dervish. And yet, when she connected and when she was there, there was just magic. You could tell that her choices were always in the moment. It didn't always help us with lighting. <laughs> it didn't always help us with rehearsals. It didn't always help the other actors, to be quite honest. But it certainly served her and her, and her process. And, and uh, for me as a director, it, it really was just about you know, getting it on film and making sure she looked at it, making sure that you know, she was lit well and that, that uh, you know, she was comfortable where she wanted to go. Because she would throw a dozen choices against the wall and four of them would stick. And it's being a director who is also an actor, I was able to go, 
She's gonna want that one, that one, that one, and that one. So don't worry about lighting over there, don't worry about lighting over there. She'll end up standing here, here, and here. So we'll keep her in those parameters, you know. But it was a little, you know, interesting to, you know, tick, 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 you know, yeah. Yeah, she was brilliant. She, during the wedding scene, I was watching her and I watched a lot of older actors that I've admired and, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing it? And she kept very alive in between takes. She would go over and it's like, oh, the hair's not quite right. And she went to like five different people, just extras on the set, and she redid their hair. And then we'd shoot and, you know, she'd be involved. And then she'd go do some more hair. And it was like, but she was very alive. It kept her alive. And, you know, I mean, the camera wasn't necessarily on her, but it was like, she was having a good time. Nor did anyone really want their hair done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it kept her alive. She's a union hairdresser, no. by the way. That's exactly what I expect from one of Mel Brooks's favorite performers, who has almost 300 credits of her own. Despite his own four decades of steady industry work, Lou Diamond Phillips still takes nothing for granted. That leads me to a point that I want to make for all of you, whether you're going to be directors or actors. I mean, like I said, you know, a little bit of humility goes a long way. You have to have an ego and you have to have, you know, thick skin. You have to be tough to make it in this industry. But too many people really think that they invented the wheel and they didn't. There are a lot of talented people out there. Not all of them get the right breaks. The industry can make you cynical, it can make you jaded, but it can also feed the negative parts of your ego, the negative parts of your, you know, your psyche that are necessary to get along. I was ridiculously impressed because, you know, I know who Kevin Richardson is. I mean, he's world famous. He's, he's you know, performed in, in the stadiums, you know, to hundreds of thousands of people. And he came in and thanked me for the opportunity and didn't come in, you know, like, you owe me this or, or I'm entitled to this because I'm already famous. So I think the people who tend to have long-term careers, you know, the people who uh, continually challenge themselves and also manage to have a, a real life with real kids and people who care about them tend to stay grounded. And I think that's kind of some of the best advice you could ever have. As much as his talent and perseverance, Lou Diamond Phillips' attitude has helped pave the way for the longevity of his career. You know, I'm pretty much grateful anytime I get paid to act. So, you know, what do they say? You know, uh, you know they said, uh, uh, what's your favorite role? My next one. I mean, there, there have been a few standouts, you know. I mean, Courage Under Fire is certainly one that, you know, I'm incredibly proud of because, uh, you know, that's just an amazing cast and, and to not be blown off the screen. I was really working with some of the, the, the finest people in the industry, Edswick, you know, and Roger Deakins, the cinematographer. Uh, uh, just, you know, really people at the top of our field and profession. And, uh, you know, to, to be included in that group was... was uh, uh, and, and Matt Damon was unknown at the time, so that was, that was pretty fantastic. A lot of my theater work, The King and I, is always going to be one of my, my favorites. Doing King Arthur, I'm very proud to have probably been, I think, the first brown Filipino King of England. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's a great accomplishment in and of itself, you know, not being the gardener in Camelot and <laughs> taking care of the roses. You know, The Young Guns, I've never had more fun uh, on a set than both of those films. The big hit is a real big favorite of mine because it's just so over the top and I, they just gave me such license. Uh, a little scene film a dear friend of mine, Stephen Purvis, directed called El Cortez. And once again, that was one of the moments where my concerns in life and things that I appreciate in life uh, intersect with art. And speaking of balls, he walked up to me at, at a Q&A like this, handed me a script and said, I'd like for you to do this film. And I actually read it and it was actually wonderful and I called him the next day. 
but it's called El Cortez, and I play a, a man who had high-functioning autism, and it's a, it's a neat little film noir, tiny little movie we made for a nickel and a dime, but it's one that you just go, wow, we did a good job. You know, we actually made something that, that's worth, you know, being proud of. So, I mean, just being able to, like, you know what, like Kevin said, I mean, this is, what, this is why I got into acting in the first place. Yeah, and there are those icons that we have out there, and, and many of them I love. The, uh, the, the Eastwoods, you know, uh, Harrison Ford to a certain extent, Cruz to a certain extent, although, you know, I mean, he gets outside of himself and does some really cool things every once in a while. But I, I, I've always considered myself a character actor. The fact that I can do leads is fantastic. I'm very proud of that. But uh, a lot of times, the roles that I take are character-based. I mean, this one. By the way, this was uh, a Bible-thumping uh, older woman. <laughs> and uh, they asked me to direct it first. And I was like, yeah, great, great. And then the call came about four days later. Would you think about acting in it? And I went, uh, do I have to? Yeah, we kind of think you should. <laughs> so it's, it, was, it was that unspoken, if you really want to direct this movie, you really need to act in it. So I said, well, wh what role would you like me to do? Well, we're thinking about doing a bad guy. I said, well, the bad guy's a woman right now. And uh, I said, okay, we'll switch it and fine. And, you know, her four scenes became eight scenes. And there you have it. But like you I never said, considered I mean, doing it in drag? In a heartbeat. Oh. But it is, you know, the, the faith-based Hallmark channel. I think if it were Spike TV, I could get away with it, you know? <laughs> but no, I think, every, every, you know, like I said, every one of my roles is a character role, even if it's a lead. Uh, I try to find that character nugget in it that's going to make it interesting. Because most of the time, I mean, most of your heroes are, are pretty boring. you got to find something there to, that speaks to you that, you know, you can, you can do something with. Hang your hat on. Here's to many more moments for Lou Diamond Phillips to hang his hat on. We want to thank him, Kevin Richardson, and the cast and crew who joined them to share their process and stories with our students. And thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was based on the Q&A, moderated by Anthony Montez. To watch the full interview, or to see our other Q&As, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor. Edited and mixed by Christian Hayden. Produced by Christian Hayden and myself. Executive produced by Jean Sherlock and Dan Mackler. With a special thanks to all of our staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time. La 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 bamba. Araba la la bamba. Se necesito una poca de gracia. Una poca de gracia para mi para ti. Y arriba y arriba.